You're listening to Gruesome and Unnatural, a true crime podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Gruesome and Unnatural. I'm Shelly. And I'm Eric, and this is episode 69. Hello, my gruesome addicts. Thanks for joining us for another episode. Are you ready, Eric? Always. I anticipate this day so much. I know. You just cannot wait for this time of day to come. Monday murders. That's right. Monday, lots of murders. Here we go. Ready? Joel Rifkin was born January 20th, 1959 to two young college students, although he was put up for adoption three weeks after he was born. Bernard and Jean Rifkin adopted Joel, and three years later, they adopted another child, a daughter named Jan. They were an upper-middle-class couple living on Long Island. In 1965, when Joel was six years old, the family moved to East Meadow, New York, specifically 1492 Garden Street in East Meadow. Hold on, let me check Google Maps. (laughs) It was here that Joel was enrolled at Prospect Avenue Elementary School. Joel was kind of unpopular with his peers. He was bullied a lot. And a lot of the neighbor kids, like, wouldn't let them play with them and stuff like that. He was just, you know, they were just kind of being bullies. Everywhere he kind of went, you know. Joel was undiagnosed with dyslexia. He had a stutter, and he struggled in school. So as Joel got older, in his, like, teen years, he attended East Meadow High School, where he decided to join the track team with the hopes of maybe making some new friends during this time. But his teammates started to torment him. His teammates would do things like dunk his head in toilets. They'd stuffed a dead chicken in his mouth as well. I know. I really was like, what the fuck is wrong with these kids? Who who does that? Where do you find a dead chicken and do that to somebody? I don't know, but. That's fucked up. That's disgusting. They filled his gym bag. No. Oh, my God. (laughs) They filled his gym bag with eggs and shaving cream. So What's up with time, all the chicken products? I don't know. <laughs> I didn't even think about it. I don't know. Where are they getting it? Are they on a farm know. or something? I don't know. <laughs> so Joel was like, at this time, he's like, fuck this sport shit, right? <laughs> so he's like, I'm going to decide to join the yearbook staff. Although this was not any better for him. Yeah, I was about to say, like, yeah, that's a step up. I know. <laughs> I know. No one will pick, up, pick on me on the yearbook staff. <laughs> Come on. So, yeah, so nothing was even better for him over here. He got his camera stolen, like, the minute he joined. Like I'm <laughs> I know, it's so fucked up. And at the end of the year party, like, a rap party, um, Joel was not included in it. I think it was a bunch of girls that, like, started the whole thing, and they just were like, no, I'm not going to invite Joel. Like, he's not included in it. And this is, like, really fucked with him. Like, he was really hurt Damn. by it. Later came out that Joel's extremely hurt by not being invited. Even his mother stated that was the only time she had seen him, like, visibly shaken. Like, he was really upset by it. Joel did have a good relationship with his mother, though, as they both shared a love for photography and gardening. Although his father, Bernard, on the other hand, tried to help Joel with his academics and his, like, athleticism. But he just, like, became overwhelmed with trying to help him so much that he just, like, kind of made Joel feel like a huge failure in in his father's eyes, pretty much. So that was, like, no help. (laughs) So Joel did end up graduating from East Meadow in 1977. But all of the mistreatment and, like, loneliness started to affect Joel so much that he started to retreat to, like, his own disturbing ass world, (laughs) let's just say. Joel started to have daydreams of raping and stabbing women, 
And this time, Joel had seen the film Frenzy by Alfred Hitchcock. Have you heard of it? Mm-mm. I've never heard of it either. But according to IMDb.com, uh, if you don't know what it is, it's described as such. A serial murderer is strangling women with a necktie. The London police have a suspect, but he is the wrong man. So mm. I guess just this whole strangling with a necktie yeah. somehow got you know in his mind and it stuck there. So Joel went on to attend NASA Community College, where his passion for sex workers grew. He started to troll them. <laughs> what? I, I, I was like waiting for you to say like he went to college where his passion for, you know, home photography grew even more or something. <laughs> no, but no. no, it just went straight to where his passion for sex workers grew. <laughs> straight there. Wow. Straight there. They have a yes. class there for it? or uh, I didn't really look into <laughs> no, that. No, I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, wow. yeah. Yeah, it's getting a little worse. So he started to troll for them in nearby Hempstead and later in Manhattan. Joel then attended State University of New York at Brockport and the State University of New York at Farmingdale, but he left before earning before he like ever earned a degree in 1984. Unfortunately, Joel's father Bernard had been diagnosed with prostate cancer several months prior to February 20th, 1987, when Bernard Rifkin committed suicide by overdose. This left Joel living at home with his mother and sister now. Yeah. So, just the three of them. I know. Extremely sad. This is kind of where Joel seems to take a turn for the worst in his life, starting the same year of his father's death on August 22nd, 1987. Joel was arrested when he offered an undercover female officer money for sex. Hmm. Gotta no, know your sex workers, Joel. No good, Joel. <laughs> they had actually been doing a sex worker sting in Hempstead, New York, when Joel came across this officer. So this is where... I was going to start with the day February 20th, 1989, but I'm going to fast forward just a few, just a, like a bit, a few days at later, like 13 days later on March 5th, 1989. Okay. So just imagine with me, will you? Just imagine this. Okay. It's you, a couple of your buddies, right? You're enjoying a beautiful day of golf. You guys are hitting the ball, having a great time, maybe cracking up a couple beers. I don't know. Yeah. You guys get to the seventh hole. You're doing great. You got a few pars, yeah, that's maybe. Not, that's not me and my Maybe a few then. birdies. <laughs> no, I know. Sure. I put this in there. I was like, okay, that's probably not really how it goes. Hey. But <laughs> you're doing great. You guys are killing it, having uh-huh. a fucking great time. You hit the ball and it goes down a slope close to the creek. You're like, fuck, I can't see the ball. Like, let's can't turn around now. I got to have a great day, right? You nervously go over to see like where the ball landed, but you get closer and you come across a bucket. And you look inside this bucket, and there's a female's dismembered head with no teeth. Do you call me, or do you call 911? What, what, what the fuck? I'm just kidding. What the fuck? No. I find my ball no, and keep kidding. playing. <laughs> we got a game. There's there's a, you know golf ethics out there, and you got to keep the pace of play up. Okay. I was hoping you weren't going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so, so that's this golfer, exact, that's what happened. He's playing seventh Damn, hole. He hits his ball and it hits it near this creek. He walks down to go hit his ball, get his ball, whatever. And he comes across his bucket, looks inside. And there's a dismembered female's head. She has no teeth, so obviously turns it into police, calls police, yeah. whatever, right? So he should have yelled four. He probably should have. <laughs> oh my god! Yes, let everybody know what's going on. <laughs> Just kidding. So. We're going to go back now to February 20th, 1989, which was two years to the day that actually Joel's father had committed suicide, that he died, which may or may not have anything to do with what he did. I just thought it was kind of weird that it was literally two years to the day. But anyways, 
Joel was out looking for a sex worker, of course, <laughs> when he came across 25-year-old Heidi Balch. She went by Susie in Manhattan, where she was working. Joel picked up Susie uh, while his mother was on a business trip, took her back to his home or that home. Uh, but once Joel got inside, he grabbed a howitzer uh, artillery shell. Mm-hmm. Have you seen? Like, I looked it up and they're fucking huge. Yeah. Even like I looked up a small one and it's like, what the fuck? So he had actually bought it from a garage sale for 25 cents, like days prior to this. Nice. Good come up. Okay. Wouldn't go that far because he later grabs it, smacks her over the head with it, like oh. over and with this yeah, artillery shell, like smacks her over it. Well, now, I was just now. looking at this as you know, a nice uh, talking piece for the living room or something. <laughs> Did you say a talking piece for the living room? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so he picks it up and he smacks her over and over and over again over, you know, on her head until he was like pretty much tired. He said he probably hit her 20 to 30 times. Afterward, he started freaking out, right? He's like, I just fucking killed this chick. Like he starts running around the house. He's closing all the blinds. He's making sure the doors are locked and shut. And he goes back to Susie and he's like, she just sits up. So Joel like, like, what the fuck? Like, I didn't kill her. And so he, like, starts wrestling with her, and he just ends up strangling her to death. Joel decides he needs to get rid of this body and, like, fast. So he starts dismembering her whole body. And years later in an interview, he does, like, to uh, telling a reporter, he actually says that he used an X-Acto knife. And when the reporter was like, did that actually work? And he's like, yeah, it works exactly like a scalpel. So it was, like, super easy for him to use. So, yeah, so Joel goes on to cut her head off, removing her teeth with pliers, and then placing it in a bucket, the bucket I was talking about. He then removes her arms and her fingertips and places them in a bucket. Then her legs were removed and put into a pan that detectives later on, like in an interview later on, asked him if it bothered him at all, and Joel replied, quote, no, it was like, it had to be done. I looked at it like a job to make it smaller so you can get rid of it, and I did it, unquote. Yeah, so Joel had put the rest of her body in garbage bags before he threw most of them into the East River in New York. And like I said, after they found her head, that March on that golf course, almost a month later on April 8th, 1989, they found her legs in Pequinot Creek near Jefferson Township in New Jersey. So the head was in a bucket and floated into the golf course? Or no, it was the on river? the golf course. No, like he had placed it there, oh, I okay. believe, like next to this creek, and then all of the rest of the body parts How'd he put you place it in. There? Like, I don't know. I don't know. It's weird how, like, as we get on, like, you'll just, I don't know. Right. <laughs> it's a very okay. weird what he does to, yeah. Oh. But I don't know. Yeah, the head was found on the golf course and the other parts were found floating in the river. He, he, he loves his rivers, let's just say. Let's just say that. You just ruined it for me. No, I didn't. So, <laughs> at, um, although at this time she obviously wasn't identified, they had no idea who she was because she had no teeth or fingerprints, because obviously you did that on purpose. But thankfully she was later identified, but it wouldn't be until 2013. So years oh, wow. and years and years later. Yeah. In 1991, Joel decided he wanted to be a self-employed landscaper, so that's how he kind of went about making his money for himself, and kind of like a temporary like hiding spot for like decomposing bodies or parts or whatnot. I don't know. So although that wasn't enough, he was still on the hunt for more women. Like he was no, he was not done. His second victim is believed to be Julie Blackbird, unknown age, and her remains have never been found. Although Rifkin later confessed that. He, like Susie, took her back to his home, his mom's home in Long Island and while she was out of town. And the next morning, he beat her over the head with a table leg and strangled her before dismembering her body as well. 
He placed her body parts in weighted down buckets and tossed the remains into the East River and a Brooklyn Canal. I wonder what the connection is between like these serial killers and prostitutes. There are so fucking many cases where they go after sex workers. What is the psychology behind that? Are they like really hate women and sex was not brought to them as normal as other people? I think step into so. it, it so be. it's just like all fucked up in their head, and yeah, it, isn't that crazy? It's super crazy. It, or is it like an idea, like oh, they're fucking sex workers, no one's gonna miss them, like robbing a drug dealer, you're not gonna go get arrested, you know? All of what you're saying Fuck. is kind of what I say in this whole thing later on, and I think you do have, you know, I think you're in the right direction. Was like, like later on, I'll say like his his biological mother is believed to be a prostitute. He thought that she was a prostitute, and that's kind of why he started doing this. Like there was another case. Sorry, I didn't mean to ruin the. No, 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 you're not ruining it. No, because I think a lot of us think the same thing. It's just like uh, there was another case. I can't fucking remember off the top of my head. But like, yeah, they're. I think their mom was a prostitute, so they just looked at it. It was like I got to kill prostitutes. Or like, like you're saying, like a lot of them, they're like nobody fucking loves them. Nobody. They don't family because their mothers were. Yeah. Like they're just like fuck these girls. Or they think like those sex workers don't have family. They don't have anybody that loves them. They're sex workers. Who cares? You know. So they're like no one's gonna miss them. Which is like, which is completely the fucking opposite. I think for the majority of them, but they have this weird mindset where it's like, they don't fucking matter to anybody. So I can do whatever fuck I want with them. Yeah. And it's like fuck you. (laughs) But yeah, I I agree with what all you're saying. Making that legal would deter serial killers. From killing somebody. Yeah, like right. I don't know. That's an interesting thought. For sure. But not if it's more of like a, my mother was a prostitute psyche behind yeah, that killer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It's very I think interesting. It's more if they enter it like no one's going to miss them. Mm hmm. Yeah. So yeah. if it was legal, they'd be like, oh shit. I don't yeah, Someone right. Will like miss them. They, they got have... regulars. They got to. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, for you know, sure. The yeah. warehouse. Yeah. They'll. <laughs> When they check in or clock in for work legally. Exactly, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they know they're there. <laughs> like, for sure. That's interesting. It's an interesting thought. Um, so the moving on to the third victim. Okay. Barbara Jacobs, 31 years old. Joel had bludgeoned her to death while she was sleeping. Her remains were found on July 14th, 1991 in a plastic bag that was stuffed inside a cardboard box found in the Hudson River. And just hours, hours after he disposed of her body... The fire department was actually doing some training, and they came across the remains in this Mm. cardboard box. The fourth victim, Mary Ellen DeLuca, 22 years old. Her parents reported her missing September 1st, 1991, although her remains were found October 1st, 1991 in Cornwall, New York, on the side of a road. But she wasn't identified until July 4th, 1993, so almost like two years later. By the way, they kind of have the similar ways of you know, death, like strangulation and, and, you know, majority of them were prostitutes, but not all of them. Not all of them were like sex workers. So this fifth victim was Unlee, 31 years old. Joel had taken her to a parking lot and then strangled her to death. Her body was found September 23rd, 1991 in the East River off of Randall's Island. At this time, there was so many murders happening in New York, like in the late 18, in the, sorry, late uh, 80s and early 90s that like, they couldn't link this to a serial killer. They weren't sure. There was just like so many fucking murders going on. They were like, they could not link this quite yet to like wow. a serial killer, right? So they were just like thinking somebody's murdering these people. Like maybe it's multiple people. We just don't know. So like, yeah, I was saying they had just had no idea what was going on. So 
His sixth victim was a woman he was trying to identify like later on in his life. And they actually named her victim number six or Jane Doe number one because she has never been identified and she has never been found. But he does know that that was his sixth victim, which is mm. kind of crazy. But Joel does believe this actually may be Denise Griffin. I'm going to play a little clip later on. He talks about it. But a woman that he claims that he did murder. He remembers number six, you know, the number six victim or Denise having candy rock earrings, which he, like I was saying, he stated in an interview later on. I'll try to post them too. They were like, yeah, they look like little candy rock kind of things. Like he's stating, they really do look like that. But Joel, like many rock others. Rock candy. Yeah. That's what uh, you call them. Yeah, yeah, rock candy. Sorry. Candy <laughs> I'm sorry. Rock. You know what? I think it's because he said so it in the interview. So he's smoking rock with the stripper <laughs> no, no. or the prostitutes? I think that's how he said the interview, so I got stuck in my head like that. Rock <laughs> no. candy. Rock candy. Yeah, these little, like, st- yeah. yeah. But it was, like, in her, like, little dangly earrings, mm, and they are kind of, like. like crystally looking. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And they were, like, see-through. Like, yeah, exactly. Joel, like many other serial killers, like, they love to collect souvenirs like we all know, like he actually kept jewelry, IDs, credit cards, and everything from his victims. Joel's seventh victim was Lorraine Orvieto, 28 years old. Unlike most of the other women, Lorraine was an accountant in Manhattan, and she was last seen by family December of 1991. Uh, but her remains were found on July 11th, 1992, in Coney Islands Creek in Brooklyn, New York, in a 55-gallon oil drum. Mm-hmm. She wouldn't be identified until July 4th, 1993. Something that her mom came out later and said was that she actually had been saving all of her daughter's Christmas presents for two years until 1993 when her daughter had been identified. That's so sad. I know. I was horrifying to hear. The next victim was number eight, Mary Ann Holloman, 39 years old, was I think the oldest victim that he, he had. Uh, she was a seamstress. When Marianne wasn't doing her sex work, she would make personalized G-strings for strippers. Hmm. So she had a little side Still job. Still in the industry, though. Oh, for sure. Yeah. She had a little side job. For nice. Her. Yeah. Way to keep it going. Keep, yeah. Making more money. Unfortunately, she did come across Joel, where he took her to the same parking lot as Unley. He strangled Marianne while she was giving him head. And she believed to be murdered on July 2nd, 1992. And again, Joel placed her body in a 55-gallon oil drum and dumped it into Coney Island Creek. Victim nine, or Jane Doe number two, was found May 13th, 1992, and she was also found in a 55-gallon drum floating in Newton Creek in Brooklyn. And uh, she's never been identified, though. And I'll tell you why. (laughs) Because uh, this is just kind of creepy to think about it was horrifying i was watching a documentary about this case and the officer on the scene when they pulled like one of the women's bodies out of the steel drum he said that the body had been just like so disintegrated from being in the you know in the water being in this drum so much that he like couldn't le- like look and he just he left the room because he couldn't even look he saw like the body being pulled out and just saw like yeah. her yeah and he was just like i can't like you could barely tell it was a person almost pretty much he was just like i can't fucking do this Joel, in an interview as an older man, like I'm saying, I'm going to play this later on. He believed that he had met her in Brooklyn, that she may have been between 5'7", 5'9", with dark hair and highlights. He thinks he took her to the same parking lot as Lee and strangled her as well. Victim number 10, Iris Sanchez, 25 years old, believed to have been murdered April of 1992, but wasn't found until June 29th, 1993, near John F. Kennedy Airport. And according to findagrave.com, she was a vivacious young mother who loved to dance. There's not a lot about, you know, because he just, like, murdered. You know, there's not a lot of information. I was trying to find a lot of information about, like, 
you know, all these women that were dying, but it's like hard to because of, you know, the life they kind of lived. and For sure. I mean, it's horrifying. And there's so many people or women, you know. Yeah. Victim 11 was Anna Lopez, 33 years old, found partially nude May 25th, 1992 in Patterson, New York. Anna's mother, Maria, stated after her daughter's death that when she was younger, she was happy, outspoken, but her life started to take wrong turns. Maria remembered begging her daughter not to drop out of the 11th grade in fear of, like, you know, drug addiction as she had seen signs of drug addiction because actually her husband had died from a drug overdose, so she kind of, you know, most likely knew the signs of it. Um, In the end, when she found her daughter murdered, she stated, quote, Kind of like what you're saying, right? I want to show that these girls, these prostitutes, have families who care. They are probably alone on the streets, but not in the world, unquote. So there you go. Just shows you, like, you know, these, <laughs> these parents are like, they are people, you know, like yeah. they have parents. They have people that love them. They're not just roaming around the streets, like, alone. But we're not done. We're not done. Not even close. Victim 12. Violet O'Neill, 21 years old. Her remains were found July 1992 in Harlem River at 123rd Street, the East River at 23rd Street and near Governor's Island. So she was dismembered and just kind of found in these rivers, which is horrifying. Violet wasn't identified until September 1993. She was described as a good mother to a young boy, unfortunately. Victim 13, Mary Catherine Williams, 31 years old, her remains were found on December 21st, 1992 in Yorktown, New York, but she was later identified on July 6th, 1993. Mary was a college student. Unfortunately, her life was cut short by this piece of shit. Joel later admitted to strangling her until she passed out, then assaulted her, and then killed her. It's crazy how much he like ends up confessing to a lot of this stuff. You don't hear that a lot. Yeah. That's like, it's pretty wild how, you know, all the kind of somewhat-ish details of, like, all these women. Victim 14 was Jenny Soto, 23 years old. Her remains were found November 17th, 1992, on the shores of Harlem River in the South Bronx. And according to findagrave.com, Jenny lived with her family in a three-story apartment in Park Slope, Brooklyn. She loved to dance at Manhattan nightclubs and was with her sister the night of November 16th, 1992, which was the last time that anyone saw Jenny. Victim 15... Leah Evans, 27 years old. Her remains were found on May 9th, 1993 in Northampton, Sulphur County, New York. According to findagrave.com, Leah was a free-spirited young woman who enjoyed life. She attended Sarah Lawrence College in the 80s while living with her mother. Leah also had other siblings named Julian and Eve. 16th victim. 16! We're at 16! Lauren Marquez, 28 years old. Her remains were found on June 29th, 1993 in the Long Island Central Pine Barrens in Suffolk County, but wasn't identified until August 21st, 1993. She was described as a devoted mother of two who came to New York to make a better life for her and her children, which is fucking terrifying. So sad. This is where we finally come to his last victim, Tiffany Bashani, 22 years old. She had actually moved to New York when she was only 16 years old with her boyfriend in 1986. Fast forward six years later when she was 22 years old and working as a sex worker on Allen Street in Manhattan. It was June 24th, 1993. Tiffany was with her pimp or her boyfriend who happened to be a punk rock musician, Dave Rubenstein. Joel Rifkin pulls up. 
and he picks up Tiffany, telling Dave that he's going to bring her back in 20 minutes. Of course, right? 20 minutes. Super fast. Joel and... (laughs) (laughs) Joel ended up keeping Tiffany's body in his mother's garage for several days before he decided to dispose of her. So, obviously, when Tiffany failed to return in 20 minutes... Dave became extremely worried, right? So he calls police, reports her missing, describes his vehicle that she was picked up in, which was a 1984 Mazda pickup truck. It wasn't until four days later, on June 28th, at 3.15 a.m., a state trooper that was patrolling Long Island's Southern State Parkway noticed a 1984 Mazda pickup, and this truck had no license plate. So he's like, kind of putting two together like why is this guy like out here kind of weird same kind of truck so obviously seeing this trooper joel's like i gotta get the fuck out of here and a police chase ensues so this goes on for about 25 minutes until ultimately joel lost control of his truck and he crashed into a light pole i know i know thank fucking god he doesn't know how to fucking drive a truck (laughs) so they got the suspect joel out of the car and obviously identified him as joel rifkin and upon searching the vehicle they come across so you know like when you have a trunk or a, a truck and in the bed you have like the cover over it mm-hmm. he had like one of those kind of things okay right so they start searching the vehicle after they you know put them in handcuffs and they go to the trunk and they open it up and immediately smell something they know all too well the smell of the smell of death, pretty much. Officers peel back a blue tarp, exposing a decomposing head and shoulders. 34-year-old Joel Rifkin obviously was immediately arrested. And after they finally went to his home and everything, they searched there. And again, like I was saying, they found jewelry, IDs, credit cards belonging to these women. Joel also confessed to these crimes without question, like kind of like I was saying throughout this whole thing. When being interrogated, they asked him how many women he had killed because they figured this was not his first time because... They found Tiff. This obviously was Tiffany in the back of his of his truck, found in this tarp, and he immediately replies, "17." <laughs> He's just like, "Yeah, I killed 17 women. I know the exact number." He then asks for a map and a piece of paper, and he writes down everything that he took, what these like women had on at the time of the murders, where he dumped their bodies. Wow. Like he wrote everything down for them. And they didn't even ask. He's like, no, give me a map. Give me a piece of paper. I'll write everything down for you guys. It's just like, what the fuck? It's so wild to me. And so like, yeah, he wrote very detailed information about everything. Joel was found guilty of nine counts of second degree murder in 1994 and was sentenced to 203 years to life in prison. 203. That's wild. I wonder if I wonder what the most amount of years Mm-hmm. was for like somebody but i thought that was crazy so his first parole his first possible parole date is february 26 2197 <laughs> okay <laughs> no. not gonna see that one <laughs> no, exactly partially as a result of her death dave rubenstein the guy his pimp boyfriend of tiffany he committed suicide by overdose less than two weeks after she was found murdered so don't know if it was kind of related to it but it kind of you know his last person she potentially saw before joel just really sad. But. Yeah, the guy seems like a piece of shit pimping out his girlfriend. I know, now. that's true. I know, I know, I know. But like, yeah, yeah I know. I mean, it Fuck could potentially dude. happen to, yeah. <laughs> well, he's gone now. So <laughs> I heard Joel talk in an interview how he spent um, like out in the real world when he was doing all this shit, right? He would spend a night with like maybe two or three women one night, not do anything to any of them, just hang out with them and then, you know. See you later. And then, like, the next night, he would do the same thing, but end up choosing one of those women and killing them. 
So it's like, I don't know what in his brain, like, yeah. one night he was cool with it, and then one night he was like, no, nah, I got to murder somebody. Like, I don't know. I thought that was so crazy. Uh, and kind of like I was saying before, Joel also believed his mother was a prostitute. It was later theorized that Joel killed prostitutes because he believed that his mother was a prostitute. When interviewed, he said, quote, I killed prostitutes because they had no one. They had no lasting relationships, no family who cared, no one who would ever come looking for them, unquote. There you go. Kind of like what you're saying. Yeah. Exactly. He had the, you know, Bunch of different weird reasons. that you had that same mindset. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, but no, it's true though. Yeah, they're you know like they don't have family. They don't have no. They're really, out there like, just he, trying to work. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, it's still like a money. shady no, ass kidding. fucking thing to do. I mean, yeah, like for sure. You're who you're gonna meet. You're not gonna meet Absolutely. your fucking future husband doing that. For sure. <laughs> Maybe some cases, but like it could be possible. Yeah. But, but very unlikely. You know, it, you're, you're in the fucking dark corners of society doing fucking being a fucking sex worker. That yeah. shit's got to come up all the time you got to get beaten yeah. all the fucking time you got to yeah. you know probably chances of you dying or being murdered are pretty probably pretty fucking high yeah yeah i, I sympathize with, with, that, with yeah. you no know, for sure they, for they, sure. i know they, they still have families yeah. but they chose a fucking lifestyle mm-hmm. it's like being coming a drug dealer like for you sure. chose this for lifestyle sure. that you're probably gonna go to jail or get killed maybe end up getting murdered yeah for sure yeah i know it's scary for sure but uh yeah, so Joel ended up like diff- Joel ended up like definitely not lacking any of remorse like for what he did. He actually fell asleep during the prosecutor's opening statement. Oh, shit. <laughs> I've never heard anybody falling asleep. So yeah, he really didn't give a shit. Uh, in early 1994, it was reported that Joel was involved in a jailhouse fight with a mass murderer, Colin Ferguson. Colin killed six people and wounded nine after the 1993 Long Island Railroad shooting. Oh, shit. Yeah. The fight began when Colin Ferguson asked Joel to be quiet while he was using a prison phone. (laughs) The New York Daily News reported the fight escalated after Colin told Joel, quote, I killed six devils and you only killed women. (laughs) To which Joel responded, yeah, I had more victims. (laughs) And then Colin punched Joel in the face. That ended that. <laughs> it's like these petty little stupid fucking fights. Yeah, you're both fucking like, weak. Okay, yeah. Prison officials decided in 1996 that Joel was so notorious that his presence in the general prison population could be disruptive. He was confined to a cell at the Attica Correctional Facility for 23 hours a day. He spent more than four years in solitary confinement before being transferred to the Clinton Correctional Facility in Clinton County. <laughs> this just... Is wild to me. Joel later sued, arguing that his solitary imprisonment was unconstitutional. His lawsuit sought $50,000 for each of his pretty much 1,540 days in solitary confinement. In 2000, a state appellate court determined that prison officials had not violated Joel's constitutional rights by housing him in isolation. Duh, you fucking idiot. You fucking kill 17 people and you think that you're gonna like, yeah. what the fuck do you fucking think that you deserve, exactly. you fucking piece of shit? Sorry. Oh, that made me so mad when I read those. Like, you're gonna sue them for what now? You fucking murdered and dismembered 17 people. How many parents do those women have? How many brothers and sisters and you're fucking fighting over this? You're a dumbass. You're fucking, I hate this guy. Ah. So to end, I'm going to play a clip of him talking. <laughs> Even though I hate him so much. Um, but it's an interview that he did on Annie. Kind of like I was talking about this whole thing. It's him talking about it. It's uh, called Cold Cases. Sorry. It's called Cold Case Files, The Rifkin Murders. Serial killer helps police identify last two murders. So here's that clip real quick. 
How are you doing today? Good. Uh, mood's improved. Just feeling good. What was it like meeting with investigators when they came to see you and kind of show you all the different pictures and everything? What was that experience like for you? <sighs> Those interviews, they're more difficult because uh, all the memories come back. It uh, took a while to get readjust afterwards. Did, did they show you a bunch of pictures of potential victims? Uh, well over 100, I believe, yeah. You stopped on a woman, Denise Griffin, that kind of had what I'm calling strawberry blonde hair. Yeah. Do you remember what you said about her, or do you remember uh, anything about her? Sadly, no. It was a rough start. He seemed a little nervous. He seemed cold. There wasn't a lot of back and forth. It was just ask a question and get a one-word answer. So I started talking to him about his childhood and things I knew that he liked talking about and reminiscing about. What are the good memories of your childhood and your mom and your family? <sighs> Some happier times. We did uh, family vacations. Went to a bungalow, large hotel thing that were very popular in the Catskills in the mountains. The film Dirty Dancing takes place at one of these places. So are those, you know, home movies, is that a good representation of your childhood? And do you have happy memories when you think about those memories? Early, yeah. Now, what about the relationship with your mom? Did you love her, and do you feel like she loved you? Oh, yeah. Uh, mom was always there. Her passing was a big loss. Dad passed before my arrest. I don't know it took I, a while for him to warm up. This is the name of the borough. And I think a lot of it has to do with his memory isn't perfect. And I think that he is somewhat conflicted. I think that he wants to help identify these women and get the publicity. But does he want to go all the way and identify them and close the case? Now, you do believe that you kept some jewelry from number six. Yeah, I've referred to them as uh, rock candy type earrings. Do you remember if it was a pair of earrings or a single earring? I believe it's a pair. You believe it's a pair? It seems like the story has changed sometimes between the single pair, clear or, or bluish. I've always described it as rock candy. The color, yeah. it's years. There's different memories over the years. Rifkin's original story was that it was a pair of earrings that looked like rock candy. Then he went to a single. Today, he went back to being a pair of earrings in that he was just confused, basically. So there's still hope that those earrings could provide the identity of victim number six with that partial DNA sample. But there's also a chance that the police will find her remains and that she can be identified that way. So I 
tried to get more details from him about victim number nine. Number nine, her body was found May of 92 in, in Brooklyn. Can you tell me what you remember about her? Taller, uh, bigger bone than uh, number six. Five seven, five ten-ish maybe. Do you remember any kind of tattoo on her? No. Hair color? Dark with uh, brassy blonde highlights, long, sort of in, a, in an updo. Where did you go and what did you do with her? I'm not sure if it was a parking lot or a, a building lot. We didn't even really do anything because the, the trigger with her was she just kept sleeping. So it was like. Did you strangle her? Yeah, like the others. I could be with two, three girls in one night, they'd be fine. The next night I could be with another two, three, the first two would be fine, the third one wouldn't be. Uh, why her and not the other five? I still don't understand. Something comes over you. Uh, it's been called that. There's a lot of victims, there's a lot of jewelry, there's a lot of facts, and he has a great memory, but it's not perfect. And so I started asking him about his crimes from the beginning. Can you tell me about the first victim? Uh, yeah, Susie with a Z. Started out in Manhattan, the Forsyth Allen Street area. We eventually go back to the house in the island. In her case, I picked up an artillery shell I had bought at a uh, garage sale for like a quarter, about you big, and smacked it with it. And then kept hitting her with it until uh, I physically got tired. I don't know, 20, 30 times maybe. I'm freaking out. I think I killed her. I'm running around pulling down curtains closing doors, turning lights off, just freaking out. And uh, she sits up. And now, just total freak out. We ended up wrestling and either strangled her or smothered her or a combination of the both because I had no idea what to now do with a bloody mess that, you know, what do you do? What do you go? Ah, panic. And what about that first one do you think made you cross the line? We read books that guys fantasize about uh, murder and mayhem all the time. I don't know. I guess at that moment, uh, the fantasy life and the real life just intertwined. And there's also... You lie to yourself while you're doing this. That's the other thing. You, you do one, well, they can only kill you the first time for the one, so the second one becomes like a free one. Well, so then you can rationalize the third one. Back and forth, back and forth. Did you ever vow to stop? Oh, like a hundred times. It's the same as quitting smoking. Yeah, I'll do that tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow I'm smoking. Mm. I'll quit again. 
Yep. We have a weird definition of what's crazy and what's legally crazy. Trust me, I was not normal at the time. After that, it just really twisted me. Uh, Do you really feel sorry for what you did? Yeah. Uh, they're gone. I mean, uh, I get weird mail. I get interesting mail. I get psycho mail. I get a lot of mail. But I get this letter, female handwriting. It's obviously from a woman. Hi, uh, I knew you on the streets. You knew me. Uh, thank you for not killing me. I now have five daughters. Oh. So, this, this five, you know, kids that had things gone differently those two nights wouldn't be here, you know? So I start thinking about all the stuff that never happened. And then it's just, yeah, there's a lot going on up there. It's a double-edged tragedy. They're gone. I'm sitting in here. I've had a lot of other plans and fantasies about, oh, you know, different life. That's gone. I'm sure they had uh, goals and fantasies and ideas for life, and it's gone for them. Everyone wants to know, does Rifkin actually feel remorse? He knows what he did is wrong. I think he knows that intellectually, but I don't think he actually feels it in his soul. I just think that he doesn't possess the emotions. Like, he can't feel that emotion for whatever reason. It just doesn't exist in him. A lot of people, they think you have ulterior motives or you're giving some information but not all the information. It, How do you respond to that? It's been 30 years. There's no ulterior motive. There's no appeal. There's no time off. Uh, I don't get anything from this exchange monetarily. Uh, they can think what they want to think. At that point, Rifkin was speaking freely. Like I said, it's not all there. I decided to double back to Denise together. Griffin. I wanted to see what his reaction to her picture would be. This was going to be my only chance to see if he would ID her as victim number six. So I showed him the picture of Denise Griffin, and I said, could this be victim number six? Is, is, this, is this the woman? That, they, that you stopped on? Uh, yeah. Uh, I think when I knew her, the hair was shorter. It was more uh, off the shoulder. Yeah, I don't think there was that much makeup. So what are your thoughts when you look at that? More probable yes than no. That's the closest image to what I remember. The street life is a very hard life, and appearances change very quickly. And uh, what you see one month is not what you see the next month. He said, more probable than not, that Denise Griffin is victim number six. So that is significant, but he's reluctant to go all the way. Is it because he wants to keep it open and keep some mystery alive? I don't know. But part of me now believes 
that he's not gonna go all the way and say this is her, that this is his way of saying that, and that's as close as he's gonna get. We have to close down. I hope we can stay in touch. Thank you. That was Joel Rifkin, you know, as an older man talking about what he did. I don't know, it's just kind of interesting hearing him talk about it, but um, like I, in this interview, another one, he kind of states it like, like it's relating it to quit smoking, like just day to day. <laughs> it's an addiction. To, yeah, it's, yeah, it's that much of an addiction, yeah. And another thing I thought was kind of crazy, again, I don't remember if it was in this interview or another one, but a lady wrote to him in jail thanking him for not killing her because she has five daughters, so it makes him like, so he started thinking like, like, Oh man, like, like you can see his face. It's like, does he actually like feel something deep inside? Is there actually something in there? Because he like started feeling bad for that or like thinking about it. I just thought that was kind of crazy. Like this woman actually like wrote him and, and like him almost having an emotional side to it after all this time. I wonder what, this is really dark and weird. You ready? Yes. I wonder what a serial killer dreams about. Oh my or how god! Fucking, like murderous and crazy the dreams are, but how they feel through it. Like if it's cool, like oh this is nice. Like when I have a dream about, you know, eating. <laughs> like my eating dreams are super fun. But like you know, like something that you you enjoy. I, I don't enjoy serial killing, so I can't relate on that level. Yeah, okay? yeah. <laughs> that is a. I am. Ooh, that is so interesting. I wonder. Right? I wonder. That's very interesting to think about. Yeah. Like, I don't know why that popped in my Maybe head. they're hungry and they're like, hmm, I'm no, going to go I'm eat the... something. <laughs> don't relate it to my eating. I'm just saying eating dreams are very fun for me. Yeah, yeah. No, I, no, they I, have I see fun what in their saying. dreams when they're killing people in their dreams? Or you would think it, they is would. Is it darker than that? Or do they have nightmares? They're being killed and <gasps> about past oh. things. And yeah. I wonder. I wonder too. I'm so curious. I would People's love minds to. minds are crazy. And then the, no, the evil s- mind is studying really crazy. psychology. I, 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 I want to get into this now. This is very interesting. That's a very interesting thing. To Dreams talk about. of a serial killer. Yeah. Oh my fucking god! Did you just create some things? I think that's very interesting. Just I'm copy, gonna have just, to look just into this. Copy, I, I'm gonna copyright it right now. Yeah, yeah. Do it. Do it now. No one can fucking steal that. Do it now. Dreams of a serial. I'll killer. fucking sue you. Trademark. <laughs> um, but like going after this, it was initially speculated that Joel Rifkin could be responsible. I don't know if you've heard about this about the Gilgo Beach serial killings, other known as Lisk. Long Island serial killer. Long Island serial killer. Um, however, Joel denied any involvement with the case, with that whole case, and the timeline of his discovery—I mean, you know—discovery of all these bodies didn't match when Joel was active. Um, so, with that case, it was actually 2023. Is last year, Rex Hurman, an architect from Massapequa Park, was arrested and charged with the murder of oh, okay. these women. So, was it totally saying, wasn't him. I was but, saying this guy would have like confessed to it because yeah. he, he wrote down on exactly. a map and like mapped out everything exactly he's exactly. like proud of it he wants yeah that's more being more notorious yeah exactly and i think rex like all you know all these potentially that he wasn't convicted yet but that he had murdered or whatever like wasn't i don't believe until the first one until like 96 and joel was arrested in 93 so it's like they thought maybe like these bodies were found later later on but it's like no yeah like you were saying you would have totally confessed to that yeah, stuff he's gonna sure confess he to 17 why not confess to fucking so many more but yeah, just what a fucking sick fuck. Fucking hate this guy. Um, 
And by the way, his mother and his sister were still living in this house at the time. Oh, was, and they had no weird. idea. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. I read, I read it later on. They came out and they're like, yeah, we had, we had no idea. Man. <laughs> we had no idea any of this. Like, That's I gross. don't think he murdered all of them, just remembered them all in the house. It's but he brought. so weird a family member doing that in your own house and you not knowing about it. And then finding How out later. How disconnected are you guys? Right. Yeah. True. Yeah. Oh, my God. I or know. is he that, that good at lying and hiding? Probably. I don't think, yeah, he's that good at lying and hiding things. and To an extent, I think they can be, but... I mean, I feel like I would pick up on something living with somebody. Yeah, like, especially, you know, he's attitude addicted changing. to fucking prostitutes and then killing them. Yeah, for sure, yeah. For all yeah. those years and nothing's come up. Yeah, and she's got to know that he got arrested for the Man, whole... Man, he keeps like, bringing home a different lady, but I never see her leave. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. Well, to, most of the times, remember, I was saying that she was out of town. Yeah, I'm, She wasn't she there. She was out of town a lot then. Yeah, I don't know what she did for a job or what. I don't know where her sister was. Maybe a prostitute. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm, kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was his birth mother, he thinks. <laughs> Maybe she was too. I don't know. No. She <laughs> but yeah, he would do it most of the time when they weren't there and then... Probably dispose of their bodies super quick before, you know, mom or sister came home. But wow. yeah, it's pretty crazy. It's, it's pretty wild, and especially when people don't know. Yeah. Pretty crazy, crazy. But anyways, thanks for listening. Rate, review, tell a friend. We greatly appreciate it. You guys listening? We love you guys until next Monday. Wait, 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 wait. Next Monday. Oh, yeah. I'm Take taking over. over again, episode meow, meow, 70. <laughs> and it's going to be a cool one. I'm going to yeah. relate it to something I do in life and love, music. So it's going to be like this. I'm super stoked. Murder music thing. Not not a murder musical. I'm no. not making anything like that. But, <laughs> you know, a story, like a real true story. Yes. True crime of some entertainer. Yes. I'm super stoked for this one. So, yeah. Yeah. Eric's taking over. Episode 70. So, yeah. Until next Monday. Stay safe and be aware.